Last week, Logan Paul made over $5,081,490 selling digital trading cards of himself known as NFTs. Uh, about NFTs, NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Um, that's what it stands for. Unable to be duplicated, replicated, one of a kind. Non-fungible tokens. Tokens? Tokens. Tokens. Okay. Fungible. <laughs> yep. Non-fungible tokens. So there's only 3,000 available to purchase. He sold them for over $2,000 and he sold 2,500 of them in a 36-hour window. The rest destroyed. Now, if you're anything like us, you're probably a little bit skeptical or a lot skeptical about why people would buy these and what an NFT even is. Where did the word fungible come from? I hadn't heard it until last week. No, no idea. Now I hear it every day, all the time. It's all I think about. Fungible or not? Am I fungible? You're not fungible. I have no idea. The family dog is not fungible. So in this episode, we're going to speak to some experts and try and clear up a few questions that we have about NFTs. Number one, what is an NFT? Number two, why would someone want to buy one? Number three, how can creators use NFTs? And then lastly, number four, we're going to brainstorm our own brand and think about how we would use an NFT. Like, how does this apply to us? Is this real? Should like, we make? Should we be making $5 million? I don't know. Maybe? Well, it'd be nice, but yeah. Like, what is it? What's going on? All right. Roll the intro. So if you're listening to this uh, on like Spotify or Anchor or on your phone, then you're listening to the audio version. And the audio version of our show now is actually going to be a little bit extended. Because we're uploading these episodes to YouTube, we're starting to cut them down and just cut this the best parts of them for YouTube. So it's almost more like a singular topic. But when you listen to it on the audio version, we're going to talk a little bit about our company, company news, things that happened this week for us uh, as well. So that's the benefit of listening here on the audio version. And before we start company news, we asked everyone out there for a jingle if they could make it for us for company mm -hmm. news. And we did receive one. And yeah. I just want to play it right okay. now because yeah. I think it's it's deserving. So here's the company news jingle. Colin and Samir, company news. Colin and Samir, company news. Amazing. You know, let us know what you think. Tweet us yeah, if you listen to that. If Should listen, it be the official company news jingle? If you're part of the audio gang, audio club, I don't know. The pod squad. The pod squad. Yeah. If you're part of the pod squad, then let us know what you thought of that. And if you have another jingle, send it to us. So moving on with company news, next piece of company news is that we had a pretty big interview that mm -hmm. we recorded mm -hmm. with a massive legendary creator MKBHD, Marquez Brownlee. So we interviewed Marquez Brownlee on Clubhouse, but it also just so happened coincidentally, which was crazy. So we got booked to, to interview him on Clubhouse, but we also just reached out to him on Twitter um, about interviewing him and he was open to it. So Colin and I were brainstorming. We were like, oh man, we want to make this video about MKBHD. And we were just standing in our office and I was like, why don't we just DM him? And we DM'd him and he follows us on Twitter and he immediately got back to us and he was like, yeah, that sounds good. I'm down. I think it's just the verified check, man. It's like that verified check. Wow, it's life. getting to your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's getting to your head. Mm -hmm. But it is, uh, it is really cool. And, and one of the first things that Marquez said to us um, on the pod, which was just really special and really cool, was that he's a fan, that he, he watches and listens to our stuff. And that was awesome. So I'm really excited about that interview. I mean, it's arguably our biggest interview ever outside of when we had Mr. Beast on the channel. But Marquez is a creator that we've only dreamed about collaborating with and talked about in passing over the past couple of years. And so, first of all, to get to interview him on the platform is amazing. But second of all, the fact that he watches us was like, I, I mean, it was awesome. Yeah, it was very cool. So, so as of right now, that episode is going to come out pretty much in full on our main channel. March 8th is the date 
mm-hmm. we're targeting right now. So, and so as we get, as we keep you guys kind of up to date, it's it's really fun that people on are tweeting at us, asking us about like the rebrand and the strategy because this episode is is coming out in line with kind of the rebrand of Colin and Smear, which is something you've been working on. So, our main YouTube channel now is going to house the Colin and Samir show, which is the video version of this podcast. It, and then the podcast channel, which we've been growing for a bit now since the beginning of this year, is going to house our clips. So we're going to clip out some of the the best moments and look at it from like a, you know, title and thumbnail perspective and put it out on the clips channel. And those will be, you know, independent clips. So that's how like the Colin and Samir universe is going to work. We're also um, hiring right now. I mean, hiring. I just want to touch on yeah, from yeah, the, go ahead. From, from the, the rebrand, the rebrand perspective, visually, also a lot of things are going to change. So uh, when you look at our logo, I'm going to be the one uh, with the beard, right? <laughs> and then uh, Samir will be shaving his beard. That's true. Just to signify to everyone that this is a new stage. Uh, keep everyone yeah. on their toes. You know, as I have been watching back these podcast episodes, because it's like a profile of me now, yeah. and I am way more gray in my beard on this side. And I, you have a TikTok haircut. You've said it yourself. It's like a little huddy. You guys can't see this because this is audio only, but I'm not happy with what Colin just said. I mean, we are filming. We could put the clip out somewhere. Wow. It, it wasn't meant to be a jab. I mean, you've said it yourself. Have you seen what little Huddy's doing these days? It's a totally different haircut, man. It's a totally different brand. <laughs> also, did you see I think it? I have more of a Jonathan Taylor Thomas okay, haircut. I apologize that you yeah. took it. Does anyone know who Jonathan way. Taylor Thomas is? Yeah, people know. Some people JTT? Know. Yeah, JTT. Okay. Um, did you see the comments on our last upload to the channel? There were people who were like, "Why are you? Guys, were you guys like angry at each other before this started? <laughs> Why? Did you see comments no. like that? Uh, yeah, they were like, you guys were like really after each other. And I think there's some people who maybe don't recognize that. Like oh, when we're like, when we're just like messing with each yeah. other. Yeah. Huh. 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 Okay. Right. Well, well, all right. Now this, this kind of is going to, I mean, the only other things that we were going to talk about here were um, if you do go to the YouTube channel, there are book recommendations, which is kind of like a little secret thing in the, in our uh, YouTube channel. Um, but it's just where Colin and I will update and just put in book recommendations um, that you can click through and check out. Most of them right now are Seth Godin books just because I'm like obsessed and I'm reading a ton of Seth Godin books. I've always read them over the past 10 years. They've always kind of helped me with ideas. Um, I'm also reading The Daily Stoic right now, which I absolutely love. So those are some book recs and um, that's basically all we wanted to cover in company news. If you nope. guys have more. I have oh, one no. more. Oh, okay, go ahead. Gary V followed us on Twitter. Pretty exciting. That was exciting. Also, Gary V followed us before we followed him. <sighs> But now we follow Gary. Yeah, but then I followed him back. Yeah. Life after the blue check. Totally different. Totally different. Totally different. Yeah. Definitely getting to our heads. Yeah, big time. Listen, man, no one's ever used the word fungible before, right? No one anywhere ever has used the word fungible as far as I'm concerned until a week ago. So there's a couple of things that have been really confusing to me. Honestly, actually, Logan's trading card is something that helped me understand it a little bit more. But NBA Top Shots, very confusing. If you guys don't know, you go to NBA Top Shots... You look at on the website, there's a clip of LeBron James dunking and it's selling for $35,000. And it's a video that the NBA owns. And you own... What do you own? What do you own when you buy that? Um, Because right now I could go to the website and watch that clip. And cool, I'm getting the experience of watching the clip. And... uh, but someone else owns it and they had to pay $35,000 to own that, but then the NBA owns it. So anyway. We had the same feeling about Logan Paul's trading cards. Can't you just take a picture of the trading card? Don't you own it? So we had a lot of skepticism a week ago about this entire NFT space. We're not very comfortable 
transacting with cryptocurrencies. It's not something that we're very informed on. So it was a lot of new information for us very quickly. And that's kind of why even the title here of this video suggests that Logan Paul is selling air. Because what is he really selling? Is he selling nothing? Is this all a sham? So yeah. that's what we were like, okay, we need to research this, understand it a little bit better, and let all of you uh, hopefully learn through us learning about NFTs. So we have some amazing interviews that helped us figure this out. But one of the things that actually came to life in the interviews was helping us understand the difference between what is fungible and what is non-fungible. I think that's a good place to start. So NFT stands for non-fungible token. And non-fungible means that you can't exchange it. Like it's a one of a kind item. It's the Mona Lisa. You can't exchange another Mona Lisa for the other Mona Lisa. There's only one. Whereas fungible, you can take $1 and exchange it to someone else's $1. And that's fine. You're okay with that transaction. So yeah, a dollar is a dollar is a dollar, right? That That's the definition of fungible. And even the way that someone described it to us where it was like, if I give you $10, um, you could give me two $5 bills and I'm actually completely fine with that trade. And so you start to understand a little bit more of like, what is something that's fungible? It's like, I don't really care that I, it's this $10 bill. It's, uh, it represents value and I could get that value actually in exchange for something else. Non-fungible means I, I have something, it represents value and it's only in that form that it represents that value. Now, the next part of it is token, non-fungible token. And that's where there's this crypto element, this blockchain element, which you and I are not equipped to explain. By no means. I do not live in the blockchain. I think what I said to you over text when we started talking about this was, I'm pretty sure if you own an NFT, that means you're assuming that eventually we'll all live in the matrix because you're buying digital property and so you're like a digital real estate owner. Anyway, I went down a path I mean, that was clearly incorrect. You and I have had multiple nights where we're texting back and forth, getting ourselves into a frenzy over whether these things are valuable or not. Right. So that's when we decided we have to speak to some experts and that's what we did. Okay, so we're going to lead into our first interview with an expert, and this is with Jen Lee, and we're going to explain who she is in a second. But as we get into these interviews and these conversations that we've had, really curious for all of you guys, and just remember, like, put in the comments, is there anything that Jen says or anything in this conversation that actually tips you into a point where you're like, okay, I get it now, I'm ready to buy an NFT? And if it's not Jen, it may be our conversation with Jess after, who happens to be followed by Barack Obama, so... So Jen Lee is a writer, she's a creator, she's just all around someone who does a ton of stuff, very impressive um, and really thoughtful. She works for Justin Kahn, who is uh, the co-founder of Twitch, pretty successful company. Who now uh, also has a, his own YouTube channel. So Justin has his own YouTube channel and they actually minted one of Justin's videos and are selling it as an NFT. So anyway, I'll lead that in. She's, she's knowledgeable about it. She helps us discover what is an NFT. Okay, so my name is Jen and I'm super passionate about the creator economy and the passion economy. And I work with Justin Kahn on his YouTube, TikTok, and as of recently, his NFTs. Colin sent me a tweet that said, Justin's going to be minting his YouTube videos and selling them as NFTs. C could you explain that what entire that? sentence? What does that mean? Okay, so basically the best way of how I would describe this whole process is imagine a autograph so like you know you go to your favorite sports stars and you like have a picture of them you're like hey like can you please sign this this would be awesome um you see that have a market in the whole like physical world right 
So kind of how I think about NFTs, especially how we're thinking about it, there's like many applications of it. So don't get me wrong. There's like many different ways of how people can get value from it. But kind of Justin's YouTube videos, we are minting as certified Justin Khan stories, which are basically digitally autographed versions of his YouTube videos. So the idea is that he kind of like signed them and they're unique to you, whoever owns the NFT. So that's kind of how we're thinking about Justin minting his YouTube videos as stories as an actual non-fungible token. Can you explain to me the buyer of this? Like who is the person who wants that and what, what can they do with that? There's definitely a sort of like a novelty and kind of collection angle to it. It's kind of like, hey, like I want to be the person who is part of this journey, part of like Justin starting his YouTube channel and hopefully being there before it grows and blows up one day. But I also think that there's another different angle there too, where you can actually offer value to the holders, to your supporters. So as a creator, you want to be able to give back to your fans to kind of be like, hey, I see you. I see you commenting. I see you here. But hey, how do we kind of make this um, kind of like official? So for what we're doing um, for NFT holders, we're actually going to be doing NFT shareholder meetings where like Justin is going to get on a call with all of them and you can only get access to that call if you're a holder of one of his NFTs. Third, the other angle that kind of blew up is investment. With the kind of popularity of NBA top shots, like the LeBron dunk shot is now $50,000. There is a huge investment angle to it too. I'm not saying this specifically for Justin, but in the market NFTs, um, it's super hot right now and it's all a supply and demand. That is also another angle that people are looking at where, hey, how can I collect rare things that might appreciate in value and potentially sell that to someone who would realize that value? So when we talk about owning the top shot dunk of LeBron, there's no actual ownership over the footage. Like, of course, that footage is owned by the NBA, they get to choose what to do with it. Anybody can record that footage, share that footage of what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So what is it that makes the NFT or the token or whatever it is that, that what is it? Like, what is it that you're owning and where does it live? I guess I'll start with analogy first. Have you ever been to the Louvre? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I have. Okay. A lot of people go to the Louvre, go to that one room where the Mona Lisa is, and you're probably like 10, 10 rows back trying to like snap a picture of the Mona Lisa. But, and you walk home with a picture of the Mona Lisa. However, you would say it's very different than the Louvre who actually has the, like, has the Mona Lisa and like basically whoever owns that, right? It's very different than like the picture that you snapped on your phone. The museum who owns the original Mona Lisa can actually drive a ton of revenue because they're selling tickets for the experience of seeing the original Mona Lisa. Where I get caught up in the NBA Top Shot is the experience of seeing the original LeBron clip is the exact same whether you own the token or not. <laughs> right? Like watching the clip is the exact same experience. Going into the Louvre is a different experience than seeing a photo of the Mona Lisa. But the difference is being having the ability to trade the ownership or sell the ownership. So that the experience of reselling is the unique experience that the buyer wants. That I would say is one of the main um, 
ones that probably majority of people are looking at. But I would say that there are actually other use cases of this too, where you can, you can now actually have your own digital museum of your collection. That concept is actually also digitally, um, has actually digitally uh, manifested itself as well, where there are platforms where you can display your unique collection of what you're able to like purchase and also show that off. And then the other thing too, in terms of buying and selling and why this is really important for creators is that you can actually bake into the contract um, how much the original artist gets back per every transaction. So you can actually bake in a, a like five, like for example, a five percent um, transaction per, in perpetuity. So whoever resells it later down the line, the original person who created it um, will get that percentage, which is really cool and why it's like super important for like creator economy. Okay, so where we left off with Jen there was this idea of the flexible contract, where every time one of these NFTs is sold, a portion of the resale value goes back to the original artist or creator. And that is an element that I think does not really exist in the physical world when it comes to reselling an asset. Yeah, collectibles. And let's just take streetwear as an example, because I, I had a friend who worked at the streetwear company. And one thing he said to me was, it's really challenging when you start to realize that most of your sales, like the, at, at scale, what's happening is the most lucrative part of the business is the resale. And the brands are not connected to that resale. So you buy a Supreme Brick uh, for $100 or let, I don't know how much those sell for. Let's just say you buy a Supreme Brick for like $1,000. Supreme gets $1,000 from you, but then you put it up on eBay or Grailed or something and it sells for $3,000. You made money, Supreme didn't make money. And then after it sold for $3,000, maybe one day it sells for $10,000. So it keeps going up in value, keeps appreciating, and more money is transacted on it. But Supreme only made $1,000 from it. So eventually it could be $20,000 are transacted on this one brick that Supreme only made 1000 bucks on. So the suggestion with flexible contracts is that actually a portion of that money every time it's resold would go back to Supreme. It was interesting. We're, the conversation is going to this place where NFTs can be really valuable for artists and creators over time, helping them uh, make more revenue, direct revenue potentially, from what they're creating. And that's where we started to have a lot of questions that were left unanswered of how are creators actually going to utilize these moving forward? I think Jen helped me understand what an NFT was and why it was comparable to art or collectibles. But I still didn't really know why creators should get involved in NFTs. Like, what happens to the buyer? What happens to the person who bought the Logan Paul NFT? You know, I know there were some perks there about like they get the Pokemon box breaks and stuff like that, but like, so what? They like, own they own a like a image that some graphic designer made of Logan Paul. Like who cares? Is there really value over time? Now, I think what happened uh, in our next interview with Jess was when I started the the light bulb started to go a little bit more. Um, and Jess's job. So Jess Sloss is someone who DM'd us on Twitter, and Jess just said like, "Hey, he's a big fan. He wants to chat, and he's doing stuff in the crypto and creator space." And it was like perfect timing, Jess. Also, Jess has a really big beard, which I will trust anyone with a big beard when it comes to blockchain, crypto, and NFTs. Of course, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, Jess runs a company called Seed Club. We'll get into that a little bit more in the interview, but he helps us understand a little bit more about how creators can interact with NFTs. 
Jess, I wanted to start with this question. First of all, who are you? What do you do? And why does Barack Obama follow you on Twitter? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's a shot. Okay, yeah. So uh, my name is Jess. I am the instigator at an organization called Seed Club. Uh, We're a social token incubator. So we help creators navigate this sort of wild world of crypto. Uh, that includes fungible tokens, non-fungible tokens, a whole bunch of words that probably don't mean a whole lot to most of you out there. But uh, why Barack Obama follows me on Twitter? I think I was just really early into social media, and I think he joined. I have no idea. This is like probably the third time it's been brought up in an interview, though. So uh, well done on, on your research there. I haven't had any interactions with him. Still waiting for an invitation to an event where we can I can meet Michelle Obama. So from a high level, could you explain to us and to our audience what an NFT is? Sure. NFT means non-fungible token. It's sort of like a digital attestation, uh, a unique non-copyable thing that exists on the on a blockchain, uh, most no, notably the Ethereum blockchain, but on any blockchain. And so you can think of blockchains as these big immutable public ledgers of record. Uh, and I think like the best analogy is just to think of it being like a way of indicating that something is is the original and is owned by somebody or something. You know, if you think about the history of the art world, like the idea of having provenance and and um, that you know the signature of an artist on on a piece that they've created um, can create a lot of long term value. So I think that's the the most interesting thing about the space is this idea of being able to write something uh, unique to the blockchain that there can only be one thing of that somebody can now own. That's actually a really good explanation, uh, especially like if there's like a, basically if there's a bucket of dollar bills, it doesn't matter what I pull out, they all are valued at the exact same. But if there's a bucket of Pokemon cards, I pull out one, it might have a different value than the other based on a numerous, numerous factors. And when it comes to like the Mona Lisa, there's actually no way to exchange for it with an exact, because there's only one. Exactly, yes, uh, I think it's a great example. Okay, so now, from a buyer's perspective, where does the value lie in purchasing an NFT? Because we've seen a lot of like memes on social media, people screenshotting perhaps the Logan Paul card and saying, okay, now I own it too. What is the value? What is the reason to purchase and be an owner? So, I mean, I think this is just such a huge, huge question full of uncertainty. And so, uh, I mean, I think the honest answer is I don't know, but I have some ideas. Um, I think, I think we're, you know, the Mona Lisa is a really, interesting example and this idea of you know somebody screenshotting something and then saying okay now i own it uh kind of falls apart when you think about it in the terms of, of the mona lisa like I don't, I don't know about you but there's you've probably come across hundreds if not thousands of pictures of the mona lisa posters of the mona lisa you know uh, other maybe reprints of the mona lisa hanging up on walls all over the world and yet uh you know the original mona lisa is the thing that really truly has value and, and in fact in many ways like the more widely these things are shared and, and recognized the more value that the initial the the you know validated the attested uh, original has right and so i think that's you know one of the interesting theses is that you know owning a piece of culturally relevant media is going to be valuable in the future and um, nfts are like the ownership mark of of this culturally relevant media and so you can see that in in art right where there's actually people issuing one of one nfts on uh, applications like foundation or super rare Um, and the idea there is that you know i i I own this one piece, um, and if this artist gets more valuable or more famous in the future, the good chance of the art that I have that just happens to be digital will be more valuable in the future. Uh, and when I was talking to Jen yesterday about what she's doing with with Justin, I think it's fascinating to see, like you know, in many ways you can imagine 
buying one of these NFTs that represents a video from a new creator is, is kind of like investing in the future of potential success of that creator. Gives rep, you know, it's a new source of revenue for that creator. Plus, it gives me as a fan a way of saying, "Well, I was first. I owned the first video. Uh, I was there from day one. Um, maybe it didn't cost me a whole lot right now, but you know, as soon as you guys hit a million subs, me owning your second video, I think would probably have some value to a certain set of collectors." So, if you're a holder of uh, of an NFT issued by a creator, let's continue with the Logan Paul example. He issued three thousand, I think, like twenty five hundred people bought. Uh, so, there's an opportunity potentially for resale. But then for a creator specifically, you can also package in this community, like you're mentioning, where you're one of those 2,500 people. And as he sees fit, um, he could have probably marketed from the get-go, but he also can continue to roll out perks to those people. So it's sort of like a modern day uh, membership club, or it could be, correct, for a creator? Yeah, I think this is where it gets really, really exciting. And and the core thing that we do at, at Seed Club is sort of explore this space. How do we use tokens to sort of you know, repatriate uh, fandom from these Web2 platforms into a place that is sort of owned and, and controlled by the communities and the creators themselves. And so, uh, you know, selling tokens that um, your truest supporters will purchase and then being able to give them value based on those tokens, I think, is the, the evolution of the use case for creators. It's something that we're really passionate about pushing forward. We're working with 11 projects right now and in our second cohort of trying to really explore this, this angle really deeply. Um, what you can do essentially is, is use these tokens to, to give you, you, to gate access to a community. So if you hold on to a Logan Paul token, only people with Logan Paul tokens could join, say, a Discord channel or a Telegram channel. Um, and so what we're seeing more broadly is this move from, you know, membership where you're paying a subscription on a monthly basis to membership where you're holding a token or a certain number of tokens uh, to get access to that community. So I think what we'll see often, and this is like, we're just seeing this emerge, is that creators will sell NFTs uh, to their early fans. And then at some point in the future, probably airdrop fungible tokens to their fans, because there's a whole bunch of you know, value in having a, a token that's more freely traded that they can use to give away and reward people who create value in their communities kind of starts to act more like equity or or like a mixture of equity and, and currency, which I think is what you know most tokens are best described at. Uh, and there's just a whole bunch of things you can do there. So, uh, you know, I think there's a big design space on how people can play with how to create value in, in these things. And one is the collectability nature of them. And the other, I think, is access. And most likely the most interesting use cases are going to be sort of smashing those two together and seeing what comes out. I have a question. What, what did you like and potentially not like or thought could have been done differently with Logan Paul's rollout of his NFT? Oh man, I have hot takes on this. Uh, so <laughs> I, first of all, I, I am broadly supportive of any creator that's stepping into the space. I've, I've been in crypto since 2017 through a bunch of market drawdowns. And I, I truly believe that NFTs and social tokens are the, the thing that's going to bring the broader um, you know community of, of human beings out there into the crypto world, which I think is just net benefit. So shout out to Logan Paul. Well done. You know, I think the, the biggest question you need to ask yourself if you're a creator in the space is, who am I creating this thing for? Am I creating it to make money? Am I creating it for me? Or am I creating it to, to reward my fans? And I think the creators that do the latter are going to really win big. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to consult with a, a bunch of YouTubers and creators around this. And my advice is always to, to jump in and play nice with the crypto people. Don't try to use these tools just to because you can make money. And I think what happens with a lot of bigger names is that they get approached by platforms. There's a lot of money that's in the space and are given bags of money to go do 
a social token for say. And so we can see that with Yachty coin. So Yachty coin launched a, a token and, um, you know, that is, there isn't, from what I've seen so far, not a whole lot behind it, community-wise, long-term value-wise for the fans. And I think it's just going to leave a lot of people with a bad taste in their mouth. I, I don't know what the case will be for, for Logan here, but um, I think there's a, you know, a way to, to do tokens that really are, are saying, okay, hey, I value you, fan, and I'm going to give you more value than I'm going to take here. And, and guess what? I think if you do that strategy, you're ultimately going to create more value across the board. Um, so I'm really watching to see what Mr. Beast does in this space. I think he's just consistently proven that he is a, a give first type person and I think has built a massive platform you know, because of that. Uh, and, and my guess is it'll be really generous and I think it's going to chart a path forward for at least a, an example for other creators stepping into the space. So um, well, I, th yeah. I think though on, on Mr. Beast, uh, just like something that we, we talked to Jimmy about finger on the app when he did that you know, when he rolled out the app. And I think the world of a Mr. Beast token also is like entrance into his game show, right? And I think that there's probably a world where it's like, okay, finger on the app rolls out. Anyone can participate and win $100,000 if they keep their finger on the app. But maybe there's another game that only token holders can play. Uh, and then it starts to get really interesting where it's like, okay, then that token has a ton of resale value. Because if you want entrance into the Mr. Beast game, I have a token and there's only hundred people in the world who can play this game. Yeah, it's sort of like, like super fans can benefit, uh, but also uh, the creator, like Mr. Beast can benefit. It's almost right. like a symbiotic relationship where like they, with the right perks, both groups get to grow together. So yeah, we've, uh, one, of, one of our collaborators wrote a piece called The Audience Grows a Creator. And I think that's the key thing here, right? Like, you're, you're aligned in incentives. And I think the, the evolution is one where Mr. Beast, you know, imagine, like, I think creators have this sort of like really short, they're almost like NFL players in a lot of ways. Like you seem to have a really short shelf life. It's pretty intense, like taste change, uh, but being able to build sort of like an institution or you know, it's even better than a corporation um, that your fans have ownership in and that you're, you're sort of evolving with and, and collaborating on um, that could last forever, I think is really fascinating. Like the idea of, of access to, you know, it's like a golden ticket, if you will, to get into the community, I think makes a lot of sense. Um, you could, later on all sorts of incentives to get that your fan base to to bring more people over i think if you look at what eric has done with that that push to a million and and sort of and, and stir like there's a lot of interesting ways you could use tokens for that but i think more broadly like just imagine you know mr beast has this this uh this token um and you know is designs say 10 challenges or games that for you know, 50 years in the future, he passes away, these games start to be released, and there's sort of this like, long, you know, legacy that gets built out that only people who have access to these tokens can, can participate in, they have governance rights over this community, so they can have a say on how it evolves. We're going to see just like these digital organizations, um, with, with creators at the core or multiple creators collaborating on really take the world by storm. Probably not going to happen this year, but I think we're seeing the seeds planted of that. Um, and I think it really starts to make sense when you think about it from like an artist perspective where, you know, there's this patronage model where people are supporting you through buying your art. Maybe you're earning some tokens as part of that as in a simple loyalty uh, program. But in the future, those points or those tokens might give you um, some sort of voting rights or control or, or access over this vault that maybe lives into perpetuity. So it's just wild and exciting. And, you know, I mean, I just say, if you are at all interested in the space, now's the time to jump in. It's just, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked on it. Okay, so membership club, this is where for me, it's like really hitting. 
Definitely. Especially with the idea that both sides are accruing value, mm -hmm. right? So the creator is getting some value, but then also like you are rewarded for being there early on. Yeah. There's this really interesting um, thought that I've been having around like physical space. Um, and like, imagine if you're a part of a membership club. So here in LA, there's Soho House, um, which is like a you know, high-end membership club and you pay, you're a member, you can bring guests in with you. But what if they actually limited it and they said there's only a hundred memberships total, then that membership goes up really high in value. And if that membership is really dynamic from like a networking perspective, or you're able to, you know, have a say in certain things in Los Angeles because you're a part of that club, that token goes up in value or that membership goes up in value. I kind of get it then. And you have an option to resell it mm -hmm. if you want at a higher rate. And if you follow this uh, flexible contract model, Soho House, who is the originator of this right. membership, Continues. every time it's resold is going to continue to make some money off of it. Mm -hmm. So so now looking at the digital space, I think there's also this conversation. Like I love the Mr. Beast thought, right? Where it's like you have to have this token to actually be a part of this game. Now, th there's a bigger conversation here about, about big creators and this thought of that always gets thrown around on Twitter of like, what if I could buy stock in a creator? Or like, who's a creator I'd buy stock in? So how could you make that happen? It's kind of interesting to think, like if Colin and Samir, if we took a pool of currency, we created our own coin, our own currency, our own NFT, um, and we own 95% of it, but then we offer a pool of 5% of that to token holders. And basically we sell those tokens as if they're like shares in Colin and Samir. Now there's a value to 100% of them. And essentially as our value increases, as we, our company does more revenue, then we pay out dividends. So that's one version of like a creator stock. It's like token holders, you are buying in the right to receive dividends from us, meaning like payments when we make more money. So it actually could be something where creators could open up like a stock pool. Now, additionally, because we're invested in educating people about creators, you might have people who actually want a seat and we say, hey, we're selling these NFTs and only and NFT holders will have a monthly meeting with us and they can have a say in what kind of content we're creating. And that's kind of what Justin Kahn is doing, mm -hmm. uh, which is just this really interesting perspective shift on the membership club. Like it, it really differentiates it from maybe a Patreon where it's a very one-sided relationship and Jess talks about this, where the creator really just delivers some content to the group. But in the token slash NFT type of model, both groups are growing together and benefiting together. And I think that's a really interesting advantage potentially to creators utilizing NFTs and coins. So the, the biggest question though is like, so where do you turn? How do you start? If you're a creator like us, wh like- Like what? What? Do you go to like <laughs> nftsforme.com? Like what do you do? How yeah. do you get funged? <laughs> get funged? Fungible? How do you get funged? Fungible? Mm -mm. How do you get funged? How do you get funged? Let's move on. All right. So this uh, is a segue into our conversation with Jess as we talked about like how creators like us could actually get started. Is there- a role for smaller creators in this NFT space? Uh, like, like take creators like us who are perhaps smaller creators, smaller community. We're concerned with educating, empowering the next generation of storytellers, making sure that we're giving that educational value to our community. How, you know, outside of explaining and doing things like this, explaining what NFTs are, uh, how do you think a brand like ours would interact? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is you guys do a great job and do good things for your community. And that is what's valuable. It's, this is it, this gets complicated when you need to expand to millions and millions of people. And, and you know, some of the, the larger social tokens, which again, I think are, are still in their infancy, have 2,000 holders. Like this is not big. And yet their, their market caps of these things are over $100 million. And, and we have to be careful about that market cap because it's not the same as you would expect with like a, a company per se. But there's value here, I think, is kind of the, the key thing there. And so um, the way to do it is to, again, how can you do something cool, experimental with your fans? What might they want to earn? Like, are, are there, do they want to own some of your videos? Do they want to have access to you in a way that they can't have access to you right now? Um, is there, are there artists or creators that are within your, your world right now that a collaboration with would make a lot of sense? And so I think like the, the, the risk is trying to be too perfect in, in an imperfect, unfigured out, that's not a word, but we'll go with it world, right? Which is like, you got to experiment. And so I think as long as you have the lens of like, I'm going to do something that is for my community to bring us together, to work to, to this higher outcome together, how do we pool our social capital, our creativity, our connection, um, and, and represent that in a token in some way. Um, I think that could be, you know, membership, unique digital moments, ownership over some of your videos. Frankly, I don't know. And I would love for you guys just to put your heads on and think of like, maybe the best place to start is to ask your community. I think that's it. You just had my mind going in terms of like, could we build uh, a, a, a group of people who are essentially shareholders in the direction of our brand and get to vote on the types of topics we cover, the type of education we roll out, um, the videos we're making. And then as those videos are coming out, they feel a sense of ownership over it. Um, and the same way, those voting rights become more valuable over time than the resale value of the tokens increase, especially if there's scarcity, we're only allowing, you know, a hundred people total to have a voice in the direction of our brand over the next 10 years. We have to vet you, you could buy the token and then, you know, you're in. Uh, so th this warms my heart that more mainstream creators are, are coming to this realization. This is the thing that I think gets me, you know, just ridiculously stoked on, on the opportunity here. Um, it's the core thing that we work on at Seed Club. We help creators like yourselves and like many people in your audience figure out how to structure these things well. Um, and, and you know, there's a whole lot of exploring going on still. Like there's nothing perfect out there, but I think you've captured the opportunity really clearly there. Um, the, the devil's in the details. And, and yeah. you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I'm always cautious of is saying, like, I'm not the guy who's going to go out there and try to do business development and pull creators into our sphere. Like you have to want to experiment with this. You have to be coming from the right perspective. Blockchains never forget. This is an immutable ledger. It exists for forever. And so setting expectations, being really clear about what you're trying to achieve um, and being sure that you understand what you're getting into is, is really important. And, and the one thing I would say is like having a price tied to your creativity is a weird thing, right? Like there's an emotional aspect to this. If you're watching your baby, this thing that you are passionate about be traded on a market, like I, I see creators who have given their friends tokens only to see their friends sell those tokens on the market and, and it leaves you with a, a weird feeling. So I think this stuff gets more normal as, as we go and as more um, sort of social norms develop around it. And also I, I think it's important to, to recognize just how the financialization of your passion or your art uh, can change things. Um, I, I want people to be in it for the right reasons for the long term. So how, do, how did you get into this space? What's like your, what's your, such an early yeah, what, what's your path to oh, like get into this space? Took a wrong turn four years ago and <laughs> here you are, right? Um, so, 
Yeah, you're right. Like, okay, I'm an early adopter of social media and I was really excited about it. I ran a small business through university and, and the internet just blew me away. I was like, man, I could, this is going to change everything. Um, and social media was a thing that was just starting. And I was like, this is going to change everything. And, and really quickly, you started to see the, the challenges of social media and, and the challenges of having one or two networks just dominate the economic activity that happens in our world. And so that was a bit disillusioning. And uh, I had a friend one day message me on Facebook, of course, and saying, hey, have you heard of tokens? And I, you know, I had, was interested in Ethereum back in the day. This idea of decentralized autonomous organizations, like economic robots that go and create value just blew me away. And so I bought a little bit and I hadn't done anything with it since. And then this idea of tokens was put on my plate. And to me, what a token represents in, in the broader crypto space is ownership and, and a say in the network. So if I hold on to some Ethereum, I, I have a, uh, I own a piece of the Ethereum network. If I hold Bitcoin, I own a piece of the Bitcoin network. Uh, and this has been flowing through all sorts of different organizations in, in this decentralized finance world, uh, where I can own a part of a lending protocol or of a, you know, a stable coin protocol. Um, and I think to me, seeing that sort of spread through the entire economy really gave me a whole lot of hope and the idea that we could have, uh, we could have equity and ownership and be rewarded for our early participation in these networks. You know, if you think about the, the first five Uber drivers that were driving around created an immense amount of value for Uber, but none of them had stock options. None of them participated in that big IPO. That doesn't happen in, in, in the crypto space. Uniswap is a, is a place where you can buy and sell tokens. Just for using Uniswap, everybody was airdropped 400 Uniswap tokens. I think you know those tokens now are worth, or were until the last few days, over $30. That's meaningful money, right? Like $12,000 for just using a protocol. And that, but ultimately that represents equity or ownership in, in these networks. And so that is the idea that just captivated me. Uh, and really, I just see it chunking down into communities. Right now, you can come together, create a community on the internet. But most of that value is being captured by the platforms. You don't have a say if you're a community member. Somebody could leave. The, the, the leader leaves and it kind of just disappears. Well, now if we have tokens that are involved there, we're able to represent that social capital as an asset. Uh, we can use it to invest in the future. right? So I can. Um, there's a great example of a token project uh, in the social token space that started off paying its moderators in Discord the equivalent of 100 US dollars a month to moderate. Well, the community got so successful that now those people are getting paid $15,000 a month to moderate the same amount of tokens. So I think there's like this, like the, I, I see you guys just sort of grasping the shift and I think you're applying it to yourselves here. I think this is just like the beginning of a, a weird, wild, interesting world that hopefully if we engage with, with good intentions and, um, you know, really focus on, I think the, the core motivations of trying to be a little bit more inclusive and give ownership and value back to our fan bases, that there's just an immense amount of growth that can happen for our communities and, and value created for anybody who's participating. In the very simplest form, if you know we we worked with you on C Club, you know part of our, the the fee that we charge is sort of a, a percentage of tokens that kind of align our two communities together, and now we have all the incentive to make sure that we come in and create a ton of value in your community, right? So we, the, the you know, and that that example could be easily extended to to Jimmy or to anybody else that might come in, and we're you're sort of even if it's just like a token amount to start, I don't think it makes sense to try to make it super financial, but by saying, hey, thanks for being a part of that, instead of the pen or like the hat, you get this digital good that gives you sort of a stake in this community that you just, that, that person has just helped in some sort of small way. The alignment gets really interesting. And I think what you start to see in, in these Web3 communities is they start to branch off and they're all tightly aligned and, and supported values-based wise. And, and even like, um, you know, you'll see us do grants to 
different creators who are trying to go do something different or to our, our collaborators that want to go do something different as a way of sort of helping them get off the ground. And I think you think membership communities is really usually about, okay, I'm going to deliver value one way. I think that's a, a shitty use of the word community ultimately. Like I think communities are more valuable because of the collaboration and it's more like a platform, right? Like Facebook's not a platform. They capture all the value, but a platform is usually where values, more values captured by other entities rather than, than the, the central entity. And I think that's what we're going to see is these creator communities are going to be seen as platforms. They're going to be investable like platforms. They're going to see valuations like platforms. And a big reason why is because distribution and access and authority and trust is extremely rare right now. You cannot go buy it. It is expensive and takes many years to build. And you guys have built it through you know, a lot of blood, sweat and tears, and that's valuable. Um, and now if you can step into this sort of, you know, tokenized world, you're able to um, represent that value as a digital asset and use it to invest in faster growth or, or, you know, more aligned growth with your community. And I think that's like the really interesting thing. So it's, it's definitely not a replacement for like a revenue source of generating monthly revenue for your, for your community, but it, I think done right has an exponentially larger impact, especially I view it as you're pooling social capital, you're representing that capital as a digital asset, which allows you to bring the future value of that capital into the present, just like you would if you take a loan out or something like that, right? We're bringing that capital into the present such that you can invest it to grow your community faster, to do more today so that it's worth more in the future. So after talking with Jess, which was a phenomenal conversation, and after talking with Jen, also a great conversation, I feel like both of us really started to believe in NFTs. Yeah. Afterwards, we were like, man, the possibilities are endless. Like I started to think about it as maybe, you know, Colin and Samir, like with us, we start doing like live education sessions and they're only for token holders. And if you're a token holder, you can help vote on the guest who's in there. And like, you just start to think about, well, when I started to understand it, to be, to be quite honest, was around membership. Mm -hmm. Membership makes sense to me. I still have a very hard time with NBA top shots. Because that, that I understand only from a resale type of perspective, right? Like it's, like an, a collector's it's, item. it's a collector's yeah. item and it's an investment. I guess it makes the same amount of sense as like owning a LeBron rookie card. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Taking a picture I, of the card is not the same as owning the card. Right? Yeah. You can watch the, everyone can watch the, the top shot dunk, but not everyone can own that item. I, I think the, the most important thing is like you go into all of this really open-minded and really exploratory where you're just like, let me explore what's happening and then let me start to think about how this could happen and and actually starting to open your mind around yeah like digital currency actually could happen and we've talked about this before when it comes to money and currency is just influence and perceived value that's it and when creators get into the perceived value business where you're saying that this is only worth as much as it's is worth to you the audience or the person receiving this, the prices can go really high and the quantities can get really, um, really high as well. And it can be very lucrative and it can actually be a beneficial relationship to both. I don't think it's actually selling air if the creators are thinking about how they are utilizing these tokens in a way that is dynamic and providing value to the audience members. But yeah, our perspective now is a far departure from what it was three or four days ago, which was this is air. You and I texting us being yeah. like texting each other, being like, like "What? Is, made, like this is the Matrix? What are we talking about?" Yeah, Logan made five million bucks just basically being like, "Here's a graphic design." But now I start to understand a little bit more. I get what's ha I get what's happening a little bit. I'm curious if you guys get it. 
love to know if at this point in the episode, you, you've listened to a lot about NFTs. You've heard interviews. You've heard us talk about it. Did we help make sense of NFTs for you? Or are you still like, listen, guys, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, you, you lost me at fungible. Yeah. <laughs> so let us know in the comments. Um, let us know if, we, if that creator stock conversation also made sense. I think that's super interesting around like, what if we opened up a pool of tokens and, and you could buy in? And like, I would probably do that for a band that I was really into when I was younger. You know, if mm -hmm. there was a band that, that came on the scene and I was like, God, I love them. And they were like, get an NFT and it comes with a t-shirt and that token like over time gets you access to shows or new music. Like think about it in music. It's like, I'm an NFT holder. So I get the album first, mm -hmm. you know, like then it's like, that's awesome. I totally get it. The opportunities are endless. The barrier I think is the education that's needed. The learning about the vernacular, learning about how it actually even works you know, most of these NFTs are bought using Ethereum and Ethereum wallets. Like, that's totally lost on me. You got ETH or what? I do have some Ethereum, but like... Yeah, I got, I'm holding ETH, man. The majority like, of who people... Who isn't holding ETH? The majority of people... I, I would have no idea how to actually transact with any of the Ethereum that I own. You going to buy a, a, a CryptoPunk? If I could afford one, Yeah, sure, CryptoPunks yeah. are expensive. Yeah, they're very expensive. Yeah, maybe I would buy it. I don't know. See, for me, this is where I'll close about this. Like, for me, the CryptoPunk, very cool, but like... I feel like I can always look at a CryptoPunk. I feel that way I too. I don't feel like I need to own it. Membership, on the other hand, I, I might want in. CryptoPunks, cool designs, fun. So you're out on CryptoPunks. I'm out. For that's, all the world to hear. That's basically the, the closing of this is there's some NFTs I would buy if they're memberships, but I don't think I would buy art NFTs. Would you buy NFTs? What NFTs would you buy? I think if Casey... Nystat had some sort of NFT type membership club. Like I could have a, a, a piece of that history even. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just think he's someone who mm -hmm. I would be like, I would be interested in interacting with whatever that club is. It's, I would have exactly. been more interested probably so, to get involved 10 years ago when I first started watching him. Yeah. Um, but that's a creator that comes to mind. Right. So I think both of us are saying like, we still need the exchange of value when if we bought an NFT, it would get us access to an experience that was exclusive to holding that token. The experience of ownership, exclusive ownership over a piece of art that's digital still is, uh, is something I wouldn't do because I don't do that even with physical art or any, I don't buy streetwear. I don't buy like anything that's collector's items. Yeah. But I will say that by the end of this episode, I understand more the buyer, like the person who would do that, who would buy digital art, who, would, who is interested in collector's items I get it now. So thanks to Jen. Thanks to Jess for coming on this episode. Hopefully they helped you understand NFTs a little bit better. And make sure to subscribe to the channel because this show comes out every Monday and our next episode of this show is uh, pretty exciting. All right. Here we, what? That's it. Over. Keeping that in. <laughs> I was going to say, roll the outro. Same as the intro. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right, guys. See ya.